had purposed in his heart that he was just going to walk away from the whole family and desert them. And then I showed up. He said, you tell Mom Eleanor. She thinks she came to speak to Uganda, but God brought her to Uganda to speak to me. Every so often, our ministry receives an email from women asking, Petey, my husband, I know he can do ministry. I know he can spread the gospel, but can I do ministry too? Can I share the gospel with someone else as well? Well, today, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you. I have a special guest with us here who is evidence of that statement. Eleanor White from the Benji Cooperative. Eleanor, thank you so much for joining us here today and uh, just being with me to have this conversation just about kind of what what you guys are all up to. And I want to, we all really want to hear some of the amazing, powerful things mm. God is doing. I know God's doing miracles and he's changing lives through your ministry. Uh, so yeah, welcome. Thank you so much. It's it's really neat to be here. I've followed your ministry too, and I see how the Lord's using you. So it's neat to get to share just the little things that the Father's allowing me to be a part of for his kingdom. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you so much for yeah. being with us. So you have a very different direction that your life took from many other women, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that that is such a beautiful thing that I want to highlight here today. Tell me, did you expect your life to take the turns it did if you look back at where you were, <laughs> you know, all those years ago? Yeah. Yahweh is definitely the God of the unexpected. <laughs> I was actually in full-time ministry. The Lord had me get married actually when I was 38, took me out of full-time ministry into marriage, and uh, my husband and I ministered some together. After he passed away, I focused on homeschooling and raising our son, who was four at the time his dad died. When he finished, was finishing high school, we had a farm and my son was going to do college. And I'm like, can't take care of the farm without him. And so the father said, it's time to sell the farm, downsize. So I was, for a little bit, I was like, okay, I've been a farmer and a homeschooling mom. I'm neither. Mm. What am I now? And that was uh, about the time that my son connected on Facebook with um, a young man in Uganda named Musumba Julius. And they began talking and uh, praying together. And Nathaniel would talk about you know, their conversations. And he was like, I wish you would connect with him too, Mom. And I was like, no, no, no. I, I don't, not interested. And uh, he kept pestering me. And after a little bit, he said, well, Mom, I think Yahweh wants me to send my tithe over there. And I'm like, well, uh-huh. um, I've awfully taught you to listen to the voice of the Lord. So, okay. <laughs> and uh, so they, they continued. And finally, it was in fall of 2018. It was right after the Feast of Tabernacles. He said, please connect with Musumba. So I finally did. And what I discovered, Musumba is one of four children of a lady named Fazira over there. Fazira was raised Muslim, and her mother was like one of seven wives. And uh, Fazira was married off at a young age, had four children of her own. Along the way, somebody shared the gospel with her, mm-hmm. and she got 
saved. And when she came to the Lord, she came wholeheartedly. She would walk about seven miles into town every weekend, go to the hospital, pray about which ward to go to and go bed to bed praying for people. Along the way, about in 2018, in her reading of the Bible, she discovered the fourth commandment had not been done away with. Said, Lord, send me somebody to teach me the Bible. I want to know what your word says. And that was right about the time I connected with them. Mm. They'd tell me we're going to a village or going to an orphanage. What are some things we can share? And then they would take what I did and pass it on. And they were like, you need to come. You need to come. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, I, there's no way. I've got all this. I had all these chronic pain issues and stuff. I was like, I, I, no, I, I, I'll help you here. And after a couple of months, one day I got off a video call with them and I just looked at my son and I started weeping, and I said, I want to go. I tell people I went halfway around the world to go meet my family. Right, but yeah. what did you expect going there? I mean, you've never been... I'd never been there. Um, and at first, Musama was like, oh, you can't travel by yourself. It's, you know, it's not safe and all. But I had a couple of young ladies that were possibilities, but that didn't work out. So I'm like, well, Father, does that mean I don't go? And I didn't hear him say no, so said, okay, so I traveled by myself. The safest place in the world is in the palm of the Father's hand. Right, right, amen. So I was like, okay. So I tell people, I was originally invited to come teach the Bible, but you can't be really serious about teaching the Bible without also doing the right. Bible. Right. There are so many in particular, widows and abandoned wives there. In in Uganda, even though technically it's predominantly Christian, men can have multiple wives and frequently do, but then they also have the uh, prerogative to, I'm tired of you, dump you. And, right. and there's a lot of women that are abandoned with them and their children and are just left destitute. And that's not what we're getting to is true religion, right? Yes. What is true religion? What does it really mean to be a believer and to say, I follow Yeshua, right? I follow yeah. Jesus. I give my life to him. You know, does that mean I go to church every Sunday or Saturday mm -hmm. or Monday or Tuesday? <laughs> or yeah. does that mean something deeper and more? And that's mm -hmm. what the Father was, it seems, really pricking your heart with that. I can't just go to church. I need to become this temple of right. the Holy Spirit. You know, James one twenty seven says, pure religion that pleases God is caring for the widows and the fatherless in their distress. Exactly. And I believe it's elsewhere in James. You know, you can't you can't say, Oh, be blessed, be warm, be filled, goodbye. Right. You know <laughs> what sort of a what sort of a God is that? To say I love you but I'm gonna leave you right. in your distress. So out of that came the idea of what if I could connect people here in mm -hmm. the in the US and Western Hemisphere with families mm -hmm. over there just to help them have one meal a day. And so that's kind of how this started originally asking people, would you be willing to sponsor of mm -hmm. a family? Anywhere from forty, we've got some large families up to hundred and fifty. Uh, a month, and that's just to give them one meal a day, nothing sure. fancy. We now at the moment have 43 
families so. that are, are we're helping feed each month. There were times as we we'd get another sponsor and our team would show up with food and and so many times we'd get there and they'd say we haven't had food for three days. Thank uh-huh. you. And we would say thank Yahweh. Mm. And um, so it continued to grow with that and then medical needs. One thing for like malaria medicine, but I had that my first trip. I had a young lady come up she had this huge jaw and long story she needed surgery she'd had surgery when she was five years old she's now 20 Mm. she was supposed to have a follow-up surgery it never happened and she'd been living pain in this deformity and i I, you know i i'm I'm a a widow on limited income and such and and i was like these when she came to me i was like father you cannot bring these people to me if i can do nothing to help them because i was like lord that's not fair so i would share i started a facebook page when i made this trip and there's so many times i would just say put out the need and Musa and Musumba and I would pray about it, and he said, "What are we? I said, what are we going to do?" And I said, "We're going to pray." And then after we pray, I would say, "And now we shall see what Yahweh does." Awesome. And it's yeah. so neat how he would speak to people. When I first went to one of the villages, Calero, I would really stress that I'm not here to teach American culture or Ugandan culture. I'm here to teach God's culture. And you need to see if what I say matches up with what God says in his word. And they said, but mom, we don't have Bibles. And in that congregation of 60 or so, one Bible. And so I put out on my Facebook page, I said, guys, this is so not right. And I found out how much it would be to buy Bibles in their language, and people started sending me money. That has been one thing overall that we have continued in subsequently of making sure as best we can that those who can read have Bibles because we know God's Word is alive and living Mm -hmm. His Holy Spirit speaks, and we see the impact it has on people's lives. You're seeing this miracle of provision come in, Father's providing for you, you're a widow, but yet you're able to now take care of others who are orphans, widows, and so on. And so tell me about some other things you've seen, um, miracles you've experienced while being there. One of the neat stories, my first trip there, when I had this idea of uh, maybe sponsoring widows and such. Mm-hmm. I said, "Can I go to their homes and take pictures?" Right. You know, and so we were. They were taking me around because the villages are. It's like just a cluster of huts here and there, and they're scattered right. over, you know, half a mile square or something or a mile even and so we were going from house to house and we went to one cluster of huts to uh, the home of Zaria one of the widows and while I was taking pictures of her home and um, next door there was a man there and he was looking at me because you have to understand I am like four miles off the nearest paved road Uh There's people, they've never seen this color. It's like having a pink giraffe walk in. And he was just looking like, whoa, where did this person come from? And so while I was taking pictures, Musumba chatted with him some. His name was Richard. And and he said, well, why don't you take his picture too? And he spoke a little bit of English. And I asked, and he was just like, whatever, just very 
look of despair I recognize now. And so I took some pictures of his home and him, and his children came out. And then I saw his next to youngest, a little boy named Yassel. I was like, oh, my goodness, from the knee down on his right leg, the skin was falling off in hunks. The brown skin was falling off in just pink, raw mm-hmm. skin. And I was like, what happened? And I found out that four days earlier, they accidentally spilled boiling water uh-huh. on the little boy's leg. And I was like, oh, Father. And I told Miss Summer, go get the first aid kit. And I'm thinking, what do I have for burns? And I had lavender oil. And then I have antibiotic ointment. I always carry that with me. So uh, I drizzled lavender oil on it. And, and as gently as I could with some cotton pads, put the ointment on because I knew it had to hurt. And the little boy, he just stood there. He didn't cry or anything, but he was probably terrified being that close to, <laughs> to somebody Aww. this color. And, uh, and then I prayed for him. And all the time, his father's standing there watching me. I'm kneeling down, taking care of the little boy. And uh, and I prayed for him. And then I gave Richard the ointment and some cotton pads, and I gave him instructions to try to keep it clean and put that on once a day. And and then we went on. Um, and it was 10 days later, the next time I was back in that village, and that was the day we brought Bibles, so I, we'd been able to get and we had a Bible for each family of the congregation. Well, Richard wasn't part. That's why he didn't know anything about me being there. That's why he was so shocked when I walked into the into the compound area. But that day, he was there yeah. sitting on the front row, and he had little Yassel with him. He had a big smile on his face. And we gave out Bibles to the congregation families and we had just a few bibles left and we said who else needs a bible he leapt to his feet and they got up i must have a bible mm-hmm. and we gave him one and uh he was just so transformed we found out later he told this to miss samba um he said the day we had come by one, he's an anomaly. It's usually the men that desert the family. Right. In his family, it was the wife who had deserted the family because of poverty Aww. and left him with the children, five children. And he was struggling to make enough to feed them. He said when Yassel got burned, he was like, that's, that's it. And he had purposed in his heart that he was just going to walk away from the whole family and desert them. And then I showed up. And I prayed, I cared, I gave medicine. And after we left, he told Masama, he was like, who is this God who would send somebody from the other side of the world to come to my village, to my house, to care for my child? Oh, that's awesome. I have to know this God. Mm. So the the miracle is really, and what is impacting these people is even just the mere distance that you traveled to be there. That God, you being in Tennessee, right? Yeah. America, God's putting this on your heart. Go to this country on the other side of the world because there are individuals that I am sending you to. I mean, these are are certain people. Yes. Like like those, like that family, and that is what impacts them. Like that is the. Yes. I mean, because that is miraculous, right? Like for you to sit in America and be like, I'm going to go 
there i don't know what is there i don't know if it's dangerous i don't know you know people may even be like i don't know if you had people around you what they thought about that but it's definitely out there right mm -hmm. especially for you as a widow you mm -hmm. don't have your husband with you to to protect you and to be with you and all the things that our culture would would say um, but yet you go in obedience because you know that your father in heaven has your back sees you protects you and that faith is the miracle that these people observe and that causes them to want to believe it is it is and and when richard was telling musamba this story he said you they call me mom eleanor he said you tell mom eleanor that she thinks she came to speak to uganda but god brought her to uganda oh. to speak to me mm. and i've had that multiple times where i had the privilege to be the voice and the hands of the Father to speak to a specific person, a specific need at a specific time. And all I knew is I was just going, doing what I knew to do. Right. And God honored it and God empowered it mm -hmm. to do mighty things. And as you observe, yes, the fact that somebody will come to teach me the Bible, to care about if my children right. have food, when they think nobody cares, who right. cares if I live or die? Who cares if my child is sick right. or well? I say, I care. And I care because there is a God who cares, right. a God who created you in his image for a purpose. Your life is not mm. without purpose. And it, and it ministers so much in these people. We go primarily to rural villages. I'm out where anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half drive, four-wheel drive, to get to most of these villages. And their life is so hard. You work all hard all day to get enough food to feed your family. And all you have fo to look forward to tomorrow is doing it all over again. So hopelessness and despair. If you have no understanding of purpose or design, it can be overwhelming. So this man, he rode 14 miles cross-country on a bicycle. Wow. And this is on dirt roads. This wow. isn't on nice paved road. He'd drive 14 miles to come hear me teach every Friday. Wow. And he'd take it back and totally transformed his life. And then he said... We've got people, which our village needs to hear God's word too. Would you come? So I went over there, and there was around 50 people there. 30 people got saved that day. Oh, well, there's a whole congregation that has grown out of that, that came because the one man was riding his bike to come here and said, please bring it to us. Mm -hmm. And that's impacting. Richard, the one that had the boy with the burned leg in his congregation, um, when I went back, it's four-wheel drive to get back there. And there was one day coming out, there was always these three big mud holes we had to get through. And the third mud hole, we had a divine appointment because we should have gotten through that. But all of a sudden, it was like something just went bloop and knocked us over into the mud in our van. And we were stuck, oh. totally, totally stuck. Well, just down the road, less than 200, 150 yards, there were some young men sitting under a tree. They'd been working out in the field. 
they knew who I was because there's nobody this color <laughs> anywhere around. <laughs> Everyone is starting to get wind of who's this lady. Yeah, that's the, that's the Muzungu that helps our village. And so these young men came running up, and Musumba's translating for me. And they said, um, we need to help her. She's the, she's the Muzungu lady who helps our village, and maybe she'll give us some money. Even if she doesn't, we should help her because she's the mother of our village. And so these young men, they came and they dug us out and got branches and, and, and worked. And so when I could finally get out, because I would have to wade through mud to get out of the van, uh, I did get out to thank them. And I gave them some money. Well, one of the guys said, thank you for the money, but Mom, what we really need are Bibles. Could you bring us Bibles? Mm. A young man named Livingston didn't know till later he said that just kind of came out of my mouth i had no idea it was not anything he was thinking about i said you come to the meeting place next friday i'll bring you bibles Mm -hmm. he was the only one of the young men who came when he came that day gave him a bible i found out livingston is richard's younger brother and so he said would you meet with my friends and teach us the bible i said okay so we set a place to meet the following monday livingston showed up there he had 15 people, 12 of them prayed to receive salvation that day. The next week, nine came back, brought 11 more. They got saved. The next week, they came back and brought 17 more, and they got saved. The next week, they came back and brought 18 more, and they got saved. The next week, they came back and brought 28 more, and they got saved. And it's all because you got stuck in the mud. Because we (laughs) got stuck in the mud. When we got stuck that day, and we were on our way. I told our team, I said, do you realize that was a divine appointment? Oh, that's amazing. Praise God for those. And we had this whole congregation who, that has grown out of that. Yeah. We, used to, right. we had to come up with a different, because we call it the mud hole congregation. <laughs> but now it's, uh, it's got a different name. But it's so oftentimes things happen, and we're like, why, God, are you allowing this to happen to me? This is not, how can this be in your will? And so if you have this idea that God is sovereign, Mm -hmm. that means nothing catches him by surprise. Mm -hmm. When there's needs that come up and and there's $50 in the account and we need $500, and Musa was like, Mom, what are we going to do? I said, one, this didn't catch God by surprise. We're going to pray, and then we shall see what Yahweh does. Sometimes we just put him in such a box and we limit him. We think he's kind of like how we are. We, we didn't expect this to happen, so we suddenly think he didn't expect this to happen. Yeah. But he is, like in this great example, 20 steps ahead. Yeah, and I, I tell people, I don't care what size your God box is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't fit. Yeah, right. You might have a little God box. You might say, oh, I've got a really big God box. He doesn't fit. Right. He can do above and beyond he can use all sorts of containers to be the cups to carry his message, whatever it is. And so that whole congregation grew out of the mud hole encounter. And Livingston knew about me because he lived in that cluster of huts. He knew about his nephew and the Burns and how I cared for him. He'd seen the change in Richard, his older brother. Well, people started seeing the change in Livingston. And so when I went back the next time, he had gone to another village in that area, Namanduti, where he used to hang out. And people were like, interesting what they ask. How is it that you have such peace? Mm. 
And he said, let me introduce you to this Muzungu lady I know. <laughs> and so um, we made arrangements for me to go to that village one day. None of Livingston's friends showed up. They were afraid of me. I think that's so funny. I'm five foot two old lady, <laughs> and these big, tall, strapping young guys are afraid. I'm intimidating. But anyway, um, but I went ahead and shared with the people, and I had four people come for it for salvation, three young men and a lady who was the associate pastor's wife who said she realized she did not have a, personally have a relationship with the Lord. And then these three young guys were in teen, early teens, 13, 12, prayed for salvation that day. So a few weeks later, he kept talking to his friends, and they said, okay, we'll be there, and went back. And this time there was around 30 young people there. And so I was sharing, and after I started, this young man came and sat on the back. There was just benches out in the, under the tree. And he sat in the back, and he was just glaring intensely at me the whole time, very angry, intense glare. Never took his eyes off me, but I'm sharing. When I gave the invitation, about 23 of those young people came forward. He came forward, too. Mm-hmm. He's still glaring at me. There's an anomaly there. Even though he's glaring angrily at me, he grabbed the hand of a young younger boy and was holding it kind of like a frightened kid. So here's this frightened kid sort of action with angry glares. And it was like, it was very obvious the things in him did not like what I was saying. But he came anyway. And I gave him a Bible and gave him an assignment. He's still glaring at me. And so we went. They, they, the day finished. The next day I was seeing Livingston and Shoal and these guys at the, the mud hole congregation. And um, I'd pu- I had to look in pictures that were taken to find a picture of this young man in the crowd. And I said, Who, tell me about this young man. And, uh, and Shoal said, he's my brother. That is Yoko. Their pastor, their father is the pastor of that little church. But Yoko had been angry with God for years. He wanted nothing to do with God. He hung out at the taverns, smoked weed, did witchcraft, hated anything. And everybody was shocked that he showed up mm-hmm. that day. Awesome. So I was like, okay. So I shared his picture with friends back here who pray. And I said, this young man needs to be set free. His name is Yoko. Would you pray? Mm. Well, it was about 13 days later that I had a chance to go back to that village. And the Yoko I found there that day was so transformed. Uh-huh. And the whole village had come because they all knew what Yoko was like. Right. And they had, what is this? What is this woman teaching right. that so changes these lives? Right. And it was that day I learned Those three young men who got saved that first day, Mm -hmm. they were Yoko's younger brothers. Oh, okay. So perhaps, did God need to do some preparation? Yeah, show what he can do in the other lives. To show there, so that made Yoko willing to come. Mm. And he is so transformed now. You know, I I would love to share that, you know, if anyone's listening that's, has a child or who has someone like that who's you know he's smoking weed is at the taverns and he's doing witchcraft absolutely and you know don't 
put God in a box, like she said. Don't don't think this is impossible. This person is too far gone. There's no way. This whole village was perhaps convinced that this person is far too gone, mm -hmm. but yet that's not true. For Yeshua, he looks at a a boy like that, and he takes joy in his ability and power to set them free. And we need to take joy mm -hmm. in that power because what is that power? That power is literally the cross. That power is the fact that he went to lay his life down. He spilled his blood for people like that, not just for this squeaky clean righteous. He came for those who are sick, he said, those who are in need of a physician. And so when we see someone in need of a physician, even with issues that seem like no earthly physician could solve, then let's look to Yeshua and trust and believe Amen. that he can do it. And let's not uh, uh, stand in his way by saying, God, no, you can't do it. Go and in obedience, even to that person, share with that person, uh, be generous, be loving towards that person. And you may just see the father come and change the heart of that person because that's the most difficult. And I think the most, the greatest miracle that we can mm -hmm. observe. That is so true. As I first went, just because the Lord told me to go, and then I, you also see firsthand those needs. We can read about it. We can look at pictures. But till you see the actual living conditions of some of these people, and some of the conditions, and yet they still can praise and rejoice in the Lord. Our ministry name, the Benji Cooperative Benji, is a Lugandan word that means abundance. Mm. And based on John 10, 10, where Yeshua said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Right. And I tell people, abundance doesn't always look like what we think it does here in the Western oh, world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know people who live in little huts with dirt floors, no electricity, no running water who yet have an abundance of joy, an abundance of faith right? that would challenge some Americans sitting in our comfortable homes Amen. and comfortable churches with pews. When you have people who are willing to walk two, three, four miles to come hear the Bible. Right. The, the, the barrier to enter in the U.S. is so easy because, you know, you go to sit in your air-conditioned church, and that is a mm. privilege. That's a blessing. <coughs> But at the same time, then it can cause us to become more lukewarm without even realizing it, thinking uh, because there, there's no real reason for making a sacrifice anymore. Right. It's so easy. But when there's persecution, as there is in these countries, um, when there is um, great barriers to entry, barriers to continuing to live out your faith, then it really filters out any lukewarmness that there is. You're either going to be all in or going to be all out. Mm -hmm. There isn't really room for the in-between anymore. And in some ways, you know, perhaps that's really what we in America need is to make greater sacrifices. Because just because we are privileged doesn't mean we can't have the abundant mm -hmm. life. It just means that we need to make great, we need to really go and make a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. We need to really go and find a place to make a sacrifice, let the Father lead you in that place. And that's what you did because mm -hmm. you were in your comfortable place in Tennessee and you went out of your way to make great sacrifices in the mm -hmm. ways that the Father led you. And that yeah. did that build your faith? 
Even more, yes. As I would pray with people, sometimes he healed people. When people would come with needs, I would say, I'm not a healer, but one of the names of God is Yahweh Rapha, the Lord, our healer. There was a little boy who was, he was about, I don't know, about five months, four or five months old, and his parents said he cries all the time. A little boy named Sylvester. I remember he was a tiny baby with a big name. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, and I prayed for him and asked, and asked the Lord to heal him. When I came back the next trip, they brought him to me and said that day that I prayed for him, he never was fussy and crying ever again. Oh, but praise God. And uh, now he's a little toddler, and uh, his parents were just thankful for that. So sometimes God does things that way. And same thing with provision. He's Yahweh Yireh, the Lord our provider. And when people would come up and say, you know, I have no food. My house is falling down. I'm a widow. I'm abandoned. And I would say, I'm a widow too, and I have limited means. But Psalm 50 says the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to the Lord. And so we would ask him to provide. And okay, one of his names is Yahweh Yeri, so we'd ask for provision. I said, and you keep asking. Mm. There's only one body in Messiah. There's not an American body and a Ugandan body and a Russian body. There's one body, right. which means the widow in Calero Village suffering impacts you right. sitting in your nice church right. pew here in America because... I don't understand how it all works, but God says it in his words that we're one body. Oh, yeah. And just as if I stub my toe, my mouth says, ouch, my hands (laughs) reach down and bind the wound. Therefore, if somebody in Uganda, part of the body in Uganda, is suffering, it does impact you and me, whether we recognize it or understand it or even acknowledge it. Yeah, I think it's as we grow in love, you know, we're supposed to be just bound together in love. And as mm-hmm. we are bound together in love more and more, we feel we are, we're more intimate with the sufferings mm-hmm. of the rest. It's not that it's, it's always there, but mm-hmm. we become more intimate and we, we grow in compassion towards that. But it's when we are, you see, Yeshua's big... Um, criticism of the pharisees in the first century who came against him were you know they were very religious and they did all the outward religious works Mm -hmm. but they were forsaking the widow and the orphan and -hmm. the suffering in other words they had the outward religious works and appearances but they weren't hurting for the rest of the body that they were Mm -hmm. supposed to be hurting for it is easy in our western culture to sanitize suffering so it's not up close it doesn't get you dirty and all that you can be the pharisees that drop your offering and not be involved one of the things i ask people when they follow our facebook page or or sign up on for a newsletter you don't want to stay up with what's going on is i said would you pray for us and then do whatever else the lord tells you it may be just to pray. It may be to, to give. It may be to support a child or a family. It may be to plan to go right. with me. When I was raising my son as a single mom, 
we would talk about what you know what do you want, what should I be when I grow up and all these sorts of things. And I said, son, if you get three things right in your life, you're smart, you're healthy, everything else will fall in place. One, you learn to love Yahweh with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Two, you learn to recognize his voice. Mm. And three, when he speaks, you obey. Amen. That's so good. And I would tell that to any of us who are children of God that learn just to love him. Because if Yeshua said, if I love him, I want to keep his commandments. First John, was it five three, says this is love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So it's like there the overflow of the love will be to obey. Right. So then whatever that obedience is, you're willing to do, even if it's something as unlikely as going halfway around the world right. to go meet people you've what, never met. What would you say to someone who is a believer listening to all of this? I mean a lot of this is convicting, right? A lot of this is like, wow, like for for many in the West who listen and hear this, it's like, wow, you know, what can I do more? And maybe even it's the thought of, um, I want my heart to be broken for the loss, the way that your mm-hmm. heart, Eleanor, is broken. But I don't feel that. And I want that more. I want, I recognize that that lack in my heart. You know, what would you tell someone like that? Obedience isn't based on feelings. Here we go. Obedience is based on hearing the voice of Yahweh as best you know how. Mm. And then obeying that voice. Mm. Oh, that's so good. Because love is like, you know, Yeshua said, the great, the, there's no greater love than laying your life down for a friend. Mm-hmm. And so love is not where it's not a feeling. Uh, feelings can be coming in love. But mm-hmm. a lot of times you're not going to feel love. And the question is then, what will you do? Because love is action. Mm-hmm. Love is what you do when you're faced with that need mm-hmm. that is in front of you. Well, again, look at the life of Yeshua. He taught, he preached, but he also got with the people. Right. He fed them. And that was different. And that was, it wasn't, there wasn't the distance yeah. and... And that is another thing that amazes, has amazed my Ugandan friends, that I go to their house. I sit with them. And um, I usually have a, a cottage or someplace where I stay as a base. And um, one of the things we've done is help a lot of these ladies make crafts and such. They make these paper be necklaces and such. Well, one day a week, they would come to my house. We'd help bring transport in from the different villages. And they'd come to my house and they'd work on the crafts. And I would always cook lunch for them and I'm serving them. And that just blew them away Mm. that I was there and I served them the meal. And I was like, well, you're doing the work. I'm just, you know, uh, doing it and didn't think anything of it. But then they would talk about how that was such an impactful thing for them. Right. And so it is to show you care. Mm. We can read and, oh, yes, God loves the world. But what does that look like day to day? I use the example, 
as a widow, it says, God's my husband. But what does that look like mm. in my day-to-day life? When the light bulb goes out, is God going to show up and change it like my <laughs> husband did? You know, and it's and it's been 20 years, and I'm, there's still aspects of that that I'm learning, mm. of what it means for me in my day-to-day life. So when I teach people, I start, I always start with we're made in the image of God, especially because I look so different from the people. Mm-hmm. And they tend to say, "Oh, you're, you know, you're an American. You're, you're a white person. Or we call those Mzungus. Uh, You know, you must be special, different." And they're like, "No, no, no, no." Before the, I need a savior. You need a savior. You know, that's we're the same. So when I talk talk about that, we're made in the image of God. I said, "Look, you see, you know, you're male. I'm female. You're tall. I'm short. You're young. I'm old." You're, you know, you're brown, I'm pink. And yet it says we're all made in the image. So it doesn't take much to realize that cannot be talking about physical appearances. It's talking about something else. Yeah. And so as we talk about being made in the image of God, one of my definitions of if Yeshua or Jesus is the Lord of my life, that means I'm willing for him to clean everything out of me that doesn't look like him. So many of these people have never had a Bible till we put one in their hands. They might have some sort of religious background, but it's not so ingrained in the culture. There's lots of people here in America that would say, oh, I'm Christian, you know, I went to Sunday school or whatever. But there's a lot of, there's some general understanding, but a lot of those people have very little, which can be an advantage because, you don't have to unlearn the junk. Right. <laughs> you can just go, this is what God says in his word. Did you have, when all of this started kicking off, did you have criticism come your way because you're a woman trying to do all of these things? You know, the Ugandan's attitude toward women and marriage and all is not biblical for the most part. However... They were so grateful that I came. It is amazing to me how even Muslims, who as a religion typically have a very low opinion of the value of women, they come, they love to hear me teach. Uh, I work with the the Messianic community of, of congregations there, and the pastors and said, so we will we will accept and anytime you want to teach us, uh-huh. we will receive what you have. So I've not found the barriers awesome. there. But I don't come I'm definitely not a feminist sort of thing, <laughs> but but I am if if I am if I am a daughter of the king and he sends me on a mission then I have his authority. Mm. I don't need to have authority as a woman or a non-woman. <laughs> you know, or right, that, a gender-driven authority. Right, that it's, I'm just trying to be obedient. He told me to go. He told me to share his word, and then he told me to do his word. Well, how could we 
criticize that right how can we how can we criticize a lady who says the father has called me to give up things make sacrifices mm-hmm. for others to wash the feet of others mm-hmm. and if that includes things like you know because there are many opinions about this you know um, about you know what a woman can or cannot or order or not to do and all of this mm-hmm. um, but when you think about that and we have these categories we put things in and we say, well, a woman um, could never teach someone anything. But well, that includes now just being a witness of the gospel. You know, that includes the basic things, mm-hmm. um, even teaching a man, right? If there is no, if, if you are there and you are in that village and you are the one who has the gospel inside of you, you have a life inside of you and you're a lady, how can we say, that you cannot speak because you're a lady and share mm-hmm. life-giving words with a man. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, there was a man, his name is Reinhard Bonnke. You've probably heard of him before. Mm-hmm. And he said, he's a big also uh, evangelist in Africa. He was, he's passed away now. But he said, when there is a man drowning in a river, he doesn't care who comes to pull him out of the river. There can be a child who comes, there can be a man who comes, there can be a woman who comes. Mm-hmm. That man only cares about being pulled out and receiving life. And we, what more are we giving them when we mm-hmm. give them eternal life? And so, I mean, I am, I'm overjoyed that you've been able to do this and that there hasn't been uh, much criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also can see that, you know, I, I think when we... I guess I'm coming from the aspect of sometimes we talk about theology and we get so stuck on the theology aspect of things that when it comes to the practical things like you're doing, mm-hmm. then there's sometimes a disconnect. We don't actually mm-hmm. think it's through. And then we put in restrictions and restraint where there is none. And we, we miss the context of Scripture in the midst of all of that because we lose the practical challenges that we have to face in this real world. Yeah, One of the times when Jesus fed the multitudes, and I believe it was Philip who said, uh, Lord, there's not enough, you know, send the people away. There's not enough here to feed them. And Yeshua looked at him and said, you feed them. All right. And <laughs> so so I would say somebody says, oh, you're not supposed to do this or that. Okay. It's not in your abilities or you whatever. Do it. Then you go. Exactly. You go do it. He put me there. And so what am I going to say? I'm sorry, I can't talk to you. You get to go to hell because I can only talk to the ladies over here. Um, And when people say, tell me the words. And that's beautiful. So when if there is a lady listening to all of this right now who maybe has that question of, you know, I'm a lady, I am I'm at home, I'm a Western American. How can I? enter a type of ministry, you know, and, and I think, you know, we both agree, you know, that can be big, that can be going to Uganda, that can be being doing something in the local community. There isn't Absolutely. big and small in the kingdom in the ways that we think right. about it. Um, well, what would you say to a lady whose heart is really pricked in that sense, or a man, but I think even especially the ladies who felt like they can't do anything because they're a lady? I would say I'm just an ordinary woman. Okay. And yet, if you were thirsty and I gave you a cup of water, when you receive the cup of water, do you go, oh, beautiful glass, thank you for bringing water to me? (laughs) 
Oh, thank you. You're just so lovely. Or would you thank the one who gave you the glass? I'm just the cup. Mm. He's the one that fills it. And all I'm doing is bringing what he puts in there to those people, whomever they are. He uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. I went to teach the Bible and then do the Bible. We've got more villages because people came to hear and they heard words of life. Their lives were transformed, not because I'm some great teacher, but because God's word is so powerful and transformative. I'm just an ordinary cup, but I'm bringing living water. Right, so we don't have to worry about our weaknesses or... I've got a lot of them. <laughs> right, right. Me too, absolutely. And, the, and I have found that the Father loves to go to those weaknesses and call you into callings that require you to put those aside for trusting in Him. So if someone feels weak, you know, don't let that stop you or say, well, I can't do that. If the Lord, like you just said earlier, if the Lord is speaking to you, if he's calling you to do something, be obedient, obey that voice, even if it feels challenging. So for uh, uh, someone who is feeling like that, but in that, in their feeling, I want to do something, like w- what can they do in their local community? What can they do? Um, w- what are some ideas for yeah. them to just get started? You know, I, when I use the analogy of the cup, I said, take your cup wherever God tells you to. It may be to the widow down the street. It might be to the homeless shelter in some city nearby. Um, I said, it may be just to go mow the yard of an elderly person down the road who can't do it. Look for those things. If my heart is in alignment with the Lord, and sometimes I've prayed, Lord, let me see people the way you see them, Mm. to see with his eyes, because then you start seeing, oh, that person's really lonely. Maybe I can just go speak to people, which is really funny because I used to be painfully shy. I would not even ask a clerk for help in the store. (laughs) And now (laughs) I will go talk about the Lord just about anywhere. Um, So if he can change me, I know he can change anybody. But if you start, Lord, I love you, and because I love you, I want to obey you. And he will give confirmation. You know, when when he called Gideon to go fight the Midianites, and Gideon said, well, can I put out a fleece? God didn't say, oh, why don't you believe me? And then Gideon asked a second time, can I do it? Another fleece, and you do the opposite. Mm. God did not condemn him for asking for confirmation. First of all, understand God loves you, and he has a plan for you. And I tell people, God doesn't play hide and seek. He plays seek. Mm, The promise is, and you shall seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found in you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13, 14. He's not out to trick you. And so if you can be obedient, and I so often say, as best you know how. Mm. And say, Lord, show me the next step. He will do that. It might start with something that you do with the little old lady down the street that then may grow into something bigger. But you start where you are. 
He meets us where we are. Look at the Gospels. <laughs> you know, Amen. he met bunch of fishermen. He met fishermen on the shore. He met Matthew at the tax collector's right. booth. He met Zacchaeus in the tree. He meets people where they are. And from there, he says, follow me. Take right. my hand. Let's go. And he says, I'll show you those things. So for anyone who's interested in getting involved with you guys, I'm, tell us a little bit about um, any opportunities that someone has to get involved with the Benji Cooperative. Yeah. Well, I would invite you, our website, uh, we're working on upgrading it, but there's a basic website at thebenji, T-H-E-B-I-N-J-I, thebenji.com. You can find us on Facebook for the Benji Ministries, there to see current needs and such. And you'll see that we have, uh, in, in addition to caring for the widows and such, their children, we're trying to help with education. So we are raising money for school fees right now for the school term that's beginning here in this next week. And so we've helped with medical needs. We it's a, It is crazy the thousands of dollars we have raised for life-saving surgeries awesome. for people that they would have had. Uh, there, there's no public health care mm. in Uganda to speak of. And so if you've got a broken leg or something and you don't have any money, own. you are on your own. And we have saved people's lives. Knee replacements, uh, uh, broken arms. The girl that had the jaw, we're able to get that whole thing replaced. And it's all been through donations that the Father speaks to people. I have people who pray regularly. They say, well, I don't have any money. I'm like, please never underestimate mm. the power of prayer. We need prayer. Absolutely. We need powerful, effective prayer. So they can get involved at those levels. And if you think the Lord's talking to you about going, you need to get in touch with me. Mm. Oh, so you and, offer availability for people? Um, yeah, we can go. Actually, we just had uh, a lady that's been on our ministry council. Her her son got started, and she started listing in. And she's like, I have no interest in going, but I, I can pray for you. I can help with this and that. And then the Lord put it on her heart. She literally just got back a week ago from spending two weeks over there, oh, awesome. going to each of the villages and all. And it's and it really transforms your point of view, your opinion, oh, yeah. because when you when you experience things firsthand for yourself, Absolutely. it's it's totally eye opening. And she saw because I told people when I was leaving, I was I came back June twenty fifth. I told them my friend Lisa is coming. So they just received her so warmly oh. because she's one of us, one right. of our friends. And I found that, you know, when you go to minister to people in that way, so, you know, face to face, that there's really a transformation that occurs in you. And for me, at least, yeah. it was definitely changing me more than anyone else in the room. Mm -hmm. And that is gonna that is so precious for your own spiritual growth you know i think so many people struggle spiritually because they don't do what yeshua did see it's not just about studying what he did it's about doing what he mm -hmm. did and it's in the doing that we really there's something I, I don't know how to put my finger on it but there's something there's this love that you experience you've never experienced before that flows through you when this person is here and the Holy Spirit empowers you to love them and, and the ways that the Father does, seeing them the way the Father does, because that's a huge thing. You said that earlier. Okay, mm -hmm. so we can see someone for a broken leg, or we can see someone who's an orphan or widow. We can see that 
from our human perspective. But then when you ask the father to be with you and help you, you can see them from the father's perspective with mm -hmm. that love of the father in and through you. And that's just so much so, so greater than what we as humans have capacity mm -hmm. for. Right. And that uh, is so precious. So if you're listening to this, you know, this is really an opportunity for you to get involved um, either by making a donation, by praying for them or to even join on a mission trip. How can people who want to make a gift, how can they do that? We have several ways, and maybe we can put a slide up yeah. at the end uh, for electronic donations through Zelle, PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, all those sorts of ways, and old-fashioned checks and such um, as well. For, for donations, I would encourage you to follow the Facebook page um, because I regularly put our prayer request up there. For people who don't do social media, we do have, there's an um, app called Band, B-A-N-D, that we do have a page there. If you're interested in that, I would encourage you to reach out to me. Email is going to be the simplest. And send me an email, say, I don't do Facebook, but I'd like to know prayer request and Give me an email. We do. I do a approximately monthly newsletter mm. uh, with just keeping folks informed, so we can have people who are praying. Guys, I'm going to be putting up all of the links of how you can get involved with the Benji Cooperative in the description of this video and in the comments below. Please go and check that out and see how you can be a support of this wonderful ministry that is reaching people on the other side of the world. What a privilege it is to be able to bear the burdens of one another. Um, join us in doing that and helping them in this sense. Thank you so much. If you want to see more videos just like this one, make sure you subscribe and like this video and we can't wait to see See you in the next one. Thank you so much for joining me, Eleanor. I really appreciate it. It's my privilege. So good to be here. Thank you, PD. Right. Shalom. Thank you. Shalom.